Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Pregnancy Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and a whole lot more. I am a labor and delivery nurse who has been at the bedside for thousands and thousands of births. I am the author of several books about pregnancy and birth and the one that started this podcast podcast conversation of ours is Common Sense Pregnancy, and you can pick that up wherever you get your books. I'm also the mother of many, and every Mother's Day, I get just a wee bit personal. Um, personally, I think Mother's Day is fabulous. I absolutely love it. Now, as you know, my kids are grown, and I don't always get to be with the kids on this holiday because, you know, they have lives. Um, they always do something special for me anyway, even when we can't all be together. And this year, one of my coronavirus silver linings is that I get to be with three of my kids this year for Mother's Day. We're all quarantined together, and um, there are plans for a at-home spa day, uh, bagels, and I suspect there's going to be some presents. I love it. Now, some of you say it's Mother's Day every day. And I agree. You're right. It is. Once you're a mother, you're a mother every day for the rest of your life. Some of you say one day is not enough to celebrate motherhood. And I agree. You're absolutely right. Um, but the purpose of any holiday is to make something special, to shine extra light, and, you know, call out someone or something and celebrate them. And, you know, you just can't do that every day. So that's why I love Mother's Day. My kids do a fabulous job of showing me their love and appreciation all the time. I'm really, really fortunate that way. But it's still nice to have bagels and presents and DIY face masks, right? I'm all for it. I hope you are too. And so with that, let me send a very happy Mother's Day to all you mamas. If this is your first Mother's Day, I'm sending extra love your way this this year. Motherhood is a big job, and it takes a lot out of you. You deserve something special. Uh, there is so much going on in the world right now, and frankly, it's all still very disturbing. I don't want to talk about that much today because I want to get right into our guest conversation. Like I said, at Mother's Day, I get a bit personal. So this week's guest is very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, we'll take a real quick break and then we'll get right back to it. Okay, we're back. And so we've talked a bit over the past few weeks about how the coronavirus has changed healthcare, prenatal care, and labor and delivery. And this week, I want to talk to a woman who is, she's almost 38 weeks. She's due at the end of this month with her second baby. And we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, first pregnancy and birth planning versus second pregnancy. And we're also going to talk about prenatal care pre-coronavirus and during the coronavirus. This woman is my beloved niece, Lua Rodriguez. She's a middle school teacher. She has absolutely the most adorable four-year-old son and the loveliest husband. And she's at the end stage of pregnancy. Let's get Lua on the line. Hey, Lua, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. 
So for um, listeners who don't know, which would be everybody, Lua is more than a guest. She's my beloved niece, and I'm really, really happy that you're on the podcast with me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, honey. Thanks for having you here. Yeah. (laughs) So I uh, introduced you a little bit in my intro, but my first question for everybody is this. Who are you and what do you do? Um, who am I? That's a good question. Well, I'm a mom. Especially at this time in your life, right? (laughs) (laughs) I am losing my mind a little bit in the house all the time. Uh Um, and I'm a teacher and I'm a wife and I'm a reader and I'm someone who's trying to figure out how to deal with this weird world that we're living in. Yeah, you and me both, and just about everybody else in the universe. Yeah, you're a teacher. Tell us a little bit about the age group that you work with. I teach middle school, mostly seventh graders, but some eighth graders when I teach yearbooks, and I teach language arts. And right now, I'm teaching online, which is different. Um, It comes with some things that are positive and a lot of things that are really challenging um, and we're adjusting as we go along to the needs of students and um, parents and the community and technology so it's been it's been interesting you had to shift gears really really quickly didn't you yeah we um, we we kind of started hearing muttering that schools might close but um, there was nothing concrete from the district and we didn't find out that our last day was our last day until the day had started. So it was like nine o'clock on a Friday that, um, that Friday we found out that was going to be for sure our last in building day. Um, and then, um, on Monday, the following Monday, we had to start, um, posting lessons and, um, trying to connect with students and, um, doing everything, virtually. Um, we really didn't have a lot of time to prepare. So it was, it was really challenging. So you're already working with a really challenging group of kids. Middle school is hard, no matter, no matter what you're talking about. Middle school is a tough, a tough age group. What was it like for you to work in the school before they shut it down? Were you scared? Um, I mean, the, it was scary around the coronavirus, not because of students. That's what I, I mean. Think, no, yeah, I know. I didn't. Yeah, the students are delightful. I know a lot of people don't love middle schoolers, but I think there's something awkwardly charming about them. Um, <laughs> but it was it was nerve-wracking because we just didn't have very much information. Nobody did at that time. Um, and it, it was hard to know how to keep Um, ourselves safe but also our students safe so we were doing a lot of cleaning and my students um, were really actually helping me a lot so we were cleaning every day and um, a couple times a day we were wiping down everything and they understood that we you know put away any shared items Um, and I usually have like on every table pencils and colored pencils and glue sticks and scissors and stuff like that for students to use Um, so all of that went away. Shared dictionaries went away. Um, so it was, it was like 
just really wondering, are, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing enough? Um, are we being safe? How can, how can we keep ourselves and others safe? So that was really hard. Um, it was kind of a relief to not have to worry about that once we started doing virtual um, stuff because it's middle schoolers, while they're old enough for them to process certain things, don't process other things. So a lot of them would just like fake cough and they're like, ha ha, and they think it was a joke. And it was like, no, you're still spraying your germs <laughs> into, the, into the world. Um, so you can't even joke about it. So it was hard for them to process and understand um, what they needed to do to protect themselves and other people. So yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So in addition to talking to you about your work and teaching, I mostly wanted to get you on the line today because you are pregnant with your second baby and due in just a couple of weeks, and you're in a great position to compare what prenatal care, pregnancy, labor, and delivery are like, both as a second timer as opposed to a first time mom, and before and during COVID. So I wanted to talk about that. So far, how are you? So far, I'm fine. Um, I think that this pregnancy has um, had some really different levels of anxiety or types of anxiety to deal with, mostly around the COVID situation and um, and just wanting to make sure that I don't place myself in um, into harm's way. But it is very different a second time around. Um, just feeling more confident that I know what I'm doing, that my body knows what it's doing, um, and knowing, and and just knowing what certain symptoms feel like, um, it's just it's normalized. So that's a really different experience the second time. It it is, isn't it? It's just, it's amazing. Your body has a sense memory to pregnancy, and the things that were just so shocking and surprising the first time around, you're like, oh yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to a couple friends of mine who are um, just a couple weeks behind me um, in terms of their pregnancy, and and one of them put it a nice or a way that really made sense. She was like, yeah, it just feels like you're a month ahead. Everything, everything that's coming, you just feel like, oh, yes, I did this, but it feels like it's coming like a month, a month early because you recognize it and you adapt to it and it just it just does feel like that it feels like I also feel like a month ago I was ready to go into labor but I still have to wait for nine months <laughs> yeah 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 I was going to ask you you know like anybody who's close to their due date you're probably getting really uncomfortable and is it the same level of uncomfortable as with baby number one or are you at that point where labor just seems like the best idea ever um about a couple weeks ago I was just thinking that I was so uncomfortable that labor actually sounded fun um so I think that's a certain level of insanity that has to happen but I think also just not being as scared of labor um knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable painful gross (laughs) um but it doesn't feel it's not unknown it doesn't have that that unknown fear factor Mm-hmm. And so it feels, it's easier to say, like, I'm so uncomfortable, I'd rather be doing that. Whereas mm-hmm. the first time around, it was like, I am so uncomfortable, but would I rather be doing that? 
not sure. It sounds really scary. And like the first time around, everyone told me all of their birthing horror stories. Um, no one told me a positive birth story. It was always about rips and tears and rushing to the C-section and just, you know, everything to freak you out. And um, this time, you know, people would say, oh, is it your first time? Nope, it's my second. And it just seemed like it nipped in the butt, like all kinds of things that people um, wanted to tell me the first time around. So that was nice. I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think yeah. everyone should so just lie and say it's their second baby. <laughs> Pro tip, just tell them it's your second or your third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is that the biggest difference between being a second time mom and a first timer? Um, that was a big, that was noticeable from, from the beginning or from earlier on this time. Yeah, I think. Um, and also knowing what to expect. I think the first time I was really taken aback by how, um, in my space and space, complete strangers were, um, mm -hmm. let alone everyone that you've ever met in your life. People want to touch you. They want to ask you all kinds of questions. People that normally wouldn't give you a second glance at the grocery store suddenly feel entitled to know, you know, how many weeks you are, whether it's a boy or a girl, and if you have a name for it, and it's, you know, um, repetitive and redundant and kind of like, why are, you wouldn't talk to me normally. <laughs> um, right. Why do you feel that you're entitled to so much personal information that sometimes people don't even want to share with their own family? Um, mm -hmm. But people don't, people just ask you. So I think knowing that that is something that happened, um, I was more prepared for it this time. Um, and I kind of knew how to head off certain, certain things that felt that the first time felt so uncomfortable and maybe invasive that this time didn't feel as, as, um, as invasive or I, I just knew how to handle it better. Um, and I wasn't surprised. I think I was so surprised the first time by how many just random people say and comment. And, and it's just interesting that, I mean, women's bodies are so constantly commented on anyway, but it's like pregnancy seems to give people like a license to comment on women's bodies um, without any kind of shame or like second guessing um, right. themselves in the, in the way that they talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just little small comments like, Oh, you're carrying high. You're going to have a boy. Yeah. yeah. Don't know me. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't, you know, be, be sure you don't do this or that, whatever it is. Yeah. People yeah. feel very entitled. Yeah, absolutely. They just they tell you how to live, what you can do, whether you're yeah. big, whether you're small. Um, yeah, it's just it's really strange. It's a strange yeah. phenomenon. So you found ways to to kind of nip it in the bud. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, it's like just kind of heading off the conversation and slightly changing the direction of it. Mm -hmm. um, kind of having some stock answers, angling my body in certain ways, or or not getting as close to people so that they could. Mm -hmm just reach out and, you know, touch. Touch you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it felt like, I don't, I don't know you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't a perfect system, um, but it was easier the second time to, to see it coming and, and have some strategies. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about prenatal care and what is the same and what is different between first and second time around. Um, the second time around, I, I, I've had a lot less questions and the doctors um, have as well. Um, so the appointments are much shorter. Um, they're really not concerned about things. Um, and it seems like in the second time around, my opinion about what's going on seems to be taken much more seriously um, than the first time. And the first time, if I mentioned that, um, you know, if I was having some kind of symptom or, or something, but that I seemed okay, they, they would just give me a whole medical spiel. Um, whereas this time they're like, oh, okay, you have a lot of Braxton hip contractions. And I said, yes, I had it the first time. I'm having them now. Okay, great. We're not going to worry about it. Um, whereas the first time I, I had a lot of Braxton hip contractions starting from like four months and I would just keep hearing like, these are signs of, um, preterm labor. Are you being careful? Are you drinking water? Are you, you know, are you monitoring it? And so it just felt like it amps up the fear factor a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that, um, especially this being a second time, I now feel like this is just something that my body does. Um, and it does it early and it does it a lot. So, and the doctor just took it into stride um this hasn't really been concerned about almost anything and um when i talked about what i wanted for my birth plan the first time um i didn't want to I, I wanted to do a medication-free labor and i wanted to do it naturally and be in my own birth position and every single person that i talked to said well yes that's nice but there might be an emergency where we can't do that and and they had to give me like a hundred caveats even if i explained yes i understand that something might come up, but this is my birth preference plan. Um, it didn't really feel like I was being heard or really taken seriously in that. Um, and this time I, I said, yeah, I, I don't want to do any medication. The doctor said, oh, okay, that's great. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was like one minute. You have some credibility this time. You've got some street cred. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. With first time moms, there's there's a very, very often this condescending tone of voice about, well, you don't really know what it's like. You can't know what you want. Well, you know what? Yeah, you don't know exactly what is going to happen during labor, but you do know what you want for your own body. And I, yeah, be nice if that condescension wasn't there. So what's different yeah. about prenatal care during um, coronavirus? Um, well, one of my appointments was virtual, so I just spoke with the doctor, um, as opposed to going in. Um, was it a Zoom call or a telephone call? Or no, what? it was just a telephone call. Um, mm -hmm. it was a, one of the monthly check-ins and it was just mm -hmm. a, how are you doing? Are you having any symptoms? Okay. Sounds great. Talk to you later. Um, did they have you check your blood pressure or do no, it was you just, dipping urines at home? No, I didn't do anything for that. I only had one, um. So that was just a really quick call. But then they said after that, that I would probably be coming in uh, to do a blood test and um, a culture. So that, that was interesting because they had cleared out, um, there was almost no patients on, on site. Um, and in order to get into the building, you had to answer the question, you know, have you, do you have X, Y, and Z symptoms? Have you been exposed to anyone from? Um, with COVID, have you traveled anywhere with COVID? And they scan you for your temperature. And, um, and then you have to answer it again 
to get into the door. Um, and there's, you know, tons of hand sanitizer and everyone's wearing a mask. And, um, and normally the waiting room is got four or five, six, you know, couples or women, um, waiting to see their doctor, but it was almost, I was almost the only person in there almost the whole time. And, um, there was just a lot of caution around who was going to be um, in that space. So there was a lot less people in the space. But the appointment itself, once I was in with the doctor, was, was then there was nothing really different about that. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. So what are your doctors and your hospital's protocols and plans for when you go into labor? Um, well, they have all the regular um stuff, you know, don't come in until you're contracting every five minutes for one minute or more. Um, so they have all that stuff in place, but now they're also saying that you're limited to only one um, visitor or helper um, during, yeah, support person. Um, during the labor, that person has to be over the age of 14 and they have to be healthy. Um, and no one, they, there's like no coming and going. Um, so um, you, that's different as opposed to being able to have, you know, your whole family <laughs> sitting there. There's no waiting room um, access. No children can come. And then they are also doing a um, COVID test for expectant mothers um, before, before they admit you. So they'll check your, you know, to see your, how far dilated you are, but they're also going to test you for coronavirus um, before you're admitted. And I'm not really sure i uh, not really sure what they're going to do with that information uh, once they get it, but um, but they are testing for that. And then until I've been checked, my support person, in this case my husband, um, cannot come in until I've been admitted. So we have to wear masks also. Yeah. So if we don't have one, they'll provide us one, but um, yeah, we have to wear a mask. I, and I think I might have to wear a mask throughout the whole um, labor. I'm not 100% sure about that, but um, I, I might have to wear a mask throughout the labor. So, Your first labor was, was pretty fast as far as first labors go, and second labors tend to be even quicker. So my hope for you is that this is a really quick dip in and dip out of the hospital. Yeah. Did they talk about plans for, you know, immediately after the birth? Or are they saying that it kind of depends on what your test comes back as? They haven't told me that yet. Um, I do have another appointment coming up, and I think that they're going to give me some additional information at that point. But mm -hmm. I think it probably depends. Um, I know from some stuff that I've, I've read that it looks like uh, breastfeeding is still really encouraged. Um, I'm a, I have Kaiser and they're really big on breastfeeding anyways. So um, it still looks like it's, they're going to try to go skin to skin and, um, you know, breastfeeding within one hour of birth. So as of right now, I'm not hearing a lot of really different things. Um, it'll probably depend on if it comes back positive or negative. Um, but still, they're still saying, you know, breastfeed, maybe wear a mask, wash your hands, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And what's your plan for, you know, immediately after the baby's born, when you, once you get home? Well, 
um, we're going to really try to keep the baby um, as far away from any other person as possible. Although he does have a big brother who's very excited to meet him. So uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to make sure that he's, you know, washed his hands. And um, I think at that point, knowing whether or not what my Corona status is will really tell us about what our family um, health looks like because we are, we have been quarantined together for the last seven or eight weeks. Um, so if I come back negative, then I, I think big brother will get to hold his little brother who he's been looking forward to meeting um, yeah. and play with him. But we'll just have to really make sure that he's washing his hands a lot and um, being really careful. So, you know, if coronavirus had not happened, you'd be getting pretty close to starting your maternity leave at this point. Mm-hmm. How does this and the quarantine affect your maternity leave? Well, um, as a teacher in California, or at least in LA, um, you're protected in terms of getting uh, maternity leave, but you're not paid through the state. So um, I was really waiting for coronavirus um, to the last possible minute to take leave because I was going to have to just use my sick days um, for my maternity leave. And um now I'm I'm still actually kind of waiting for full um, confirmation from my administration, but it looks like um, as long as I want to, um, I can still because it's all virtual um, continue to kind of work from home and finish out the year. So um, I might be able to maybe just use a couple of sick days, not use as many, um, mm-hmm. and it you know I might not actually take maternity leave um, this year. I'm going to just take some sick, some sick days and, um, and finish it out. Yeah. Yikes. That's not going to be easy. How many hours a day are you having to put into working right now? It really depends on the day. Um, our, our union has, um, been doing a lot of advocacy for teachers. So, that you know, as long as you're posting your lessons and you're accessible to kids, and that you have office hours where they know when they can, when and how they can communicate with you and ask questions, um, a lot of it is being left up to the teacher um, to to navigate. So, um, knowing that I was going to go into labor at some point, and not knowing if we were going to go back to school at that point, or be online, or what that was going to look like, or if I'd have someone subbing. For me, like a virtual substitute, I wasn't really sure. So I took a lot of time at the beginning of our closure, um, and I've loaded all of my lessons, so they're self-paced lessons, um, into the system that we use, which is called Schoology, so um, that my students can go through and um, and complete tasks. So because I spent so much, I front-loaded so much of my work. Um, I don't have to load lessons on a weekly basis for students. Mm-hmm. It um, it reduced the number of hours, but we do make calls every week to students um, with the dual, all our grading and grading. I mean, normally we're we were supposed to, and I try to give students feedback to help them improve their work. But it becomes even more important virtually because you can't talk to the student. So every all the communication is what you're typing to them. 
based on what they've given you. So it's really important that your feedback is as detailed as possible and specific in terms of what they've done well and what they need to do to improve. So sometimes grading can take a longer time now because it's so critical to give feedback that's useful to students and details. Um, so it really just varies. If I only have six kids that turn something in that day, then I don't have a whole lot. If nobody has any questions, I don't have a whole lot. Um, on Tuesdays, I have a lot of meetings. So, you know, I'll spend four hours in meetings and then a couple hours grading and um, communicating with students. And it just, it really varies. I check in a lot. I check in in the morning and in the afternoon, a um, couple of two, three, two, three times a day, messaging students and calling students and answering questions. Um, and so it can, it can be anywhere, you know, it can be a regular day, a six hour day, it can be a 10 hour day, it can be a two hour day. Um, yeah. And it varies. Variation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And of course, you know, we don't really know what the fall is going to be like. And so what's it like at the stage that you're in now with a soon to be newborn and a four year old and you're having to think about daycare down the road? Or are you? I mean, it's a little bit terrifying based only on health. Um, mm-hmm. We're not looking for daycare. We have daycare um, situated. So we know where the baby will be. Um, but we are also enrolling uh, my four soon to be five-year-old into kindergarten this year. So it's, that's a, it's you know, how are we going to juggle that? Is that going to happen? Um, is he going to start virtually? Are we going to go back to work virtually um, when the school year starts? So it's a lot of those questions. And then how are we going to keep everyone um, healthy and safe when we do all have to go back to work? Because um, at that point, we will all be in a school or daycare environment surrounded by a lot of people. So I think that that's really, at this point, the most nerve-wracking thing is um, just seeing how the district and the um, public health officials choose to open schools and daycares um, and what kinds of precautions they put in place and what kinds of um, options are available for, you know, caring for sick, for sick people, what kind of sick leave options. Those are the really big questions at this point, because um, if I have to go back to work, then I, I, I have to go back to work to, to earn a living. Um, so it's just, it's scary because it feels like your health and, and the health and wellness of your family feels so dependent on outside forces and not knowing what your options are going to look like makes it hard to make a plan. Yeah. Yeah. We're all just having to, it's just like extreme go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot else we can do. Go with the flow to the max extreme. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to try to be extremely Zen if possible. Do that while also getting ready for labor and dealing with a four-year-old while quarantined in a pandemic. Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, little four-year-old got a bubble machine um, the other day, and we put bubbles in it for him, and he spent 30 minutes playing with the bubbles, which he was calling his relaxing bubbles. Oh. So so maybe bubbles is the way to go. (laughs) Maybe. It's just, you know... It's as good a thing as any these days. We'll get our hope where we can, eh? Yeah, just try to catch those bubbles. Yeah. They're so pretty. Yeah. Well, hon, 
What else do you want people to know? Well, I think today is Maternal Mental Health Day, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's just important to remember that people spend a lot of time thinking about maternity um, as the pregnancy part, but don't spend a lot of time thinking about the postpartum or the, or the post yeah, um, part. And that there's so many women who either go undiagnosed or just don't get enough support and care in general um, after they give birth. And it's so isolating. I think knowing that is, it's helpful, just knowing um, both physically and hormonally and, and then socially what it feels like to give birth and have a child um, is, is helpful. But a lot of people are, I mean, there's so many women who are just still struggling. Um, with postpartum depression and anxiety and it's a really isolating and lonely time and so may is mental health month and i believe today is maternal mental health month so i just think it's important for us as women to really continue to support one another um in, in any of the ways that we can especially now during coronavirus where we're so isolated and and kind of feeling lonely anyways um so my hope is for myself and for my friends who are pregnant and for other pregnant women to be able to reach out and get support after they have delivered their baby um, and to really be able to take care of their mental health, to take care of your mental health, to take care of your baby's mental health. And that there's so much guilt in motherhood. It's so easy to just guilt trip yourself um, and feel that you're not doing enough to take care of this little life, but taking care of yourself is so important. Um, so I think just thinking it about, all starts, well, it all starts with mama. Yeah. 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 Well, we have time for a few rapid fire roundup questions. You game? Sure. Okay. Question number one, how is feminism relevant to your life? Feminism should be relevant to everyone's life. Um, but I think it's incredibly relevant as um, a teacher and a mother, and especially a mother of a boy, um, to set an example of what it means to treat, um, to really think about gender equity and how to raise a son who is... Um, aware of, of his male privilege um, without him, you know, developing any kind of negative feelings about himself, that he's not special or wonderful or whatever. Um, so I think just that's a balancing act of how to, how to set that example for him, but also in education, there's so many places where we just do not value girls um, and also that we limit boys. And it's, it's just so important to treat both genders um, the same. And <laughs> that's really hard to do sometimes. Yeah, I bet. Okay. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, it was going to be so hard. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, honey. We didn't want you to know. <laughs> Sometimes it's so great, but sometimes it's just so hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, we all stand together on that one. And even I think if, you know, someone had found the perfect way to articulate it, there's no way to know till you know, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Well, I'm not sure I completely understand the question, but the way I interpret it, um, I guess I would say, I think my job as a mother is to help my child learn how to navigate the world as a successful adult who can um, take care of himself and form positive and healthy relationships and um, and contribute to the world and make it a, a better place in whatever way he finds um, for himself. I think, I think that that's what motherhood should be. It should really be about you trying to give tools to, um, to your child that to help them through life. And that can be really difficult. Yeah. That's a really good answer. Yeah. Well, I know you and I will be in close touch as you're getting to these last days of this pregnancy and having this next little baby of yours. And we'll keep our listeners posted later on as to how things go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for telling us about it. Thanks for being here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Good luck to all the pregnant mamas out there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, babe, you and I will talk soon. Okay. Bye. That's it for this week, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Stay well, stay healthy, and come on over to my website, jeanfaulkner.com, to learn more about me. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Tweet me, at jeanfaulkner. And go find Pregnancy Parenting and Politics on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to go pick up a copy of my book, or you can just order it online. Common Sense Pregnancy, wherever you get your books. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.